Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. This morning, we are going to look at a pretty emotional story found in Luke chapter 16. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. In a few moments, you see the verses appear on the screen. And um, if you're not a fan of weighty, heavy stories, I just want to say, hey, take it up with Jesus. He's the one who tells this particular story uh, that we are going to look at. But in telling this story, Jesus teaches us some compelling truths that I pray will help set the course for where we sense the Lord is leading us as a church to go this year. Um, Luke chapter 16, we're going to start in verse number 19. Again, we'll pause and make some observations as we work our way through um, this story. Um, Man, pretty intense story. Here it goes. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. Woo! That's how the story starts. Again, no warning, no warm-up. Jesus just drags us into the throes of a chilling tale of two men living two lives that could not have been any more polar opposite from the other. An unnamed rich man, we don't know who he is, but his body is covered with the most expensive branded clothing that you can imagine, living in the most exquisite, gated mansion, a picture of power and luxury. He had a dream and he is living his dream when we meet him. On the other end of the extreme is this man named Lazarus, a picture of weakness and suffering, most likely crippled by virtue of the fact that he had to be carried and placed at his spot of begging outside the gate of this rich man's paradise on earth. Lazarus's body covered not with exquisite clothing, but with these unsightly, excruciating sores. Dogs apparently would come and would lick his wounds. Another hint of the fact that he was most likely not very mobile and able to shoo them away. Oh, this guy, he had a dream, and his dream was just to eat a few crumbs that fell from this rich man's fancy table, but apparently that dream was aiming way too high. He never got to experience any of it. Strategically placed outside the home of the man who could help him live his dream and who could just change his experience if he chose to. And yet, day after day, The rich man saw Lazarus and did nothing for him, nothing to make his crumb dream a reality. Lazarus, 
unenviable, miserable, weakness, deprivation, suffering, Lazarus. There is not a person, by the way, in this room who would ever dare to go into the presence of God and whine to God. God, uh, why, why don't you let me, I just would, just, would you be so kind as, as to let me experience just a little bit of Lazarus's life? I just want a little bit of that Lazarus life. Lazarus is the picture of the life that we pray and work to make sure we never experience even for a moment. This was not it. Suffering and weakness. We want nothing to do with this guy's life. On the polar opposite, the rich guy, he's the guy who if God loved us, he would answer our prayer and reward our work and allow us to experience a little bit of this glam life, power and luxury and all of the options in the world. You could not have painted two more opposite life experiences into the same picture frame, polar worlds apart, until verse 22. The time came when the beggar, Lazarus, he died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man, remember him, he also died and was buried. Ooh, there goes Jesus again. No warm-up, no warning. Lazarus and the rich man die. Which in fairness is kind of how it works, right? Death doesn't typically announce itself. It doesn't knock on the door. It doesn't often warm up into its arrival. Oh no, it just breaks in whenever it feels like it. Breaks into the story, oftentimes with no warning. Well, breaks into whose story? Breaks into everybody's story, which is the jolting point that Jesus introduces us to right out of the gates. Everybody dies. Everyone is going to die. Wait a minute, hang on a second. But this poor guy, Lazarus, he suffered so much. His life was a hot mess for years and years and years. Surely he gets a pass. Nope. Everybody dies. But this rich man, I mean, he lived in this gated community with all manner of security and protection. Yeah, death don't care. It has the keys and will break in anytime it wants. Everybody dies. But this rich guy, he had the connections to the most experienced and expert medical. It didn't matter. Everybody dies. As a tongue-in-cheek saying goes, no one gets out of here alive. Death is the great equalizer of all. Great, death is this, this, this great common denominator, this great common destiny. Everybody dies. Whether your life is lived on a mat or lived in a mansion, you are going to die. Whether you're clothed in silk or covered in sores, you are going to die. It doesn't matter how polar opposite the experiences might have been. 
Death brings us into common partnership. We are going to die. Whether you lived the dream or dreamed to live just for half a day, just to eat some scraps, you're going to die. Whether your life was a picture of struggle or picture of power, death is coming. Jesus says the poor paralyzed guy and the powerful prisillionaire, both of them died. And I'm just saying, can we pause here in church on this freezing morning and just sit with that beautiful, sobering reality for a moment? Because I don't know if you've ever actually acknowledged this. And might I suggest that you consider whispering this truth to your soul. I am going to die and everyone I know is going to die. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, chapter nine, verses two and five. All share a common destiny. Polar opposites, the righteous and the wicked, both of them, the good and the bad, both, the clean and the unclean, both, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them, for the living know that they will die. And I truly cannot suggest strongly enough that if not today, on a regular basis in our lives, we echo to our souls this reality. We speak this truth to ourselves. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen. I am going to die and everyone I know is going to die. Again, you braved the tundra outside to come to church this morning and hear this uplifting word from the Lord. I don't know who's living the dream you're dreaming of. And man, if God loved you, you would just live their life a little bit more. They're going to die. This might be hard for you to believe, especially the millennials in the room, but the era's tour is going to end. And the Gen Xers, you guys can Google Taylor Swift and see what's going on. I don't know who you dream will one day notice you and will maybe give you a scrap of clout on social media and you become, they're going to die. This is so sobering. I wish we could take a moment as morbid as it may seem, but you take a look around you. Everybody sitting around you right now is going to die. Everybody you drive by today in your car is going to die. Everybody you interact with at work in the coming week and everybody you see at school in the coming days, everybody is going to die. Everyone whose social media account you scroll and cracks you up on TikTok, they are going to die. Every athlete who seems unstoppable on the playoff field this afternoon, they are going to die. Okay, Kondo, don't blame Jesus now. You are the one dragging out the weightiness of this story. We get it. We didn't come to church for this downer. I know. In fact, I know 
This is not how you make friends in our culture. This is definitely not how you get people come back to church next week. We'll make a longer list of the people who are going to die. In fact, here's the truth. In our culture, avoiding the topic of death is a multi-billion dollar industry. Whatever we can do to deny it, to delay it, to dodge it, we are going to do and we will pay to make myself feel a little younger, look a little younger, and boy, if I see in the mirror a wrinkle, that reminds me of, so we got to cover that up because that reminds us of the, and we just want to, let's live in a world where we don't talk about it. Matter of fact, there is an unspoken code that I am violating right now by talking this much about death. You don't do that. You don't do that, Condor. Everyone knows the code. You pretend it's not going to happen so we can act shocked when it does. The problem is that the Bible so disagrees with the code that we've made in our culture. In fact, it suggests that that code is really dumb. The wisest man not named Jesus said this a couple of chapters before what we just saw in Ecclesiastes 9. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says this. This is crazy. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Why? For death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. I'm not exaggerating when I say you ought to whisper to your heart. I'm going to die, and everyone I know is going to die. And he says it is better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Why? Because funeral reminds you to consider the unavoidable reality of your life. You are going to die, and that is something you ought to take to heart, not to avoid as our culture would suggest. No, but at the party, it's lit, and, and you can get an omelet, and, and you can be... So, you know, just you get to forget about life and you just get, get to just cover it over and, and pretend it doesn't exist. And the Bible says that's not wise. The reality is there are very few things about the future that you know for sure. Um, if there is something you know with certainty, wouldn't wisdom say, well, we should probably think on it significantly, not avoid it? Anyway, as is true for every single human being on the planet, Lazarus and the rich man both die. And if you want to know why we cannot avoid that conversation, this next part will remind us. See, because we tend to treat death like it's some kind of an end, and we're not a fan of things ending. So we like to delay it or just dodge it as much as we can to keep it going as long as we can. But the Bible teaches, no, death is not so much an end as much as it is the beginning of the life that really matters most. Death is just a doorway into the life that really counts. 
it's actually when Lazarus and the rich guy die that we begin to see the life that has no end for them. It just opens the door into eternity. It opens the door into forever and ever and ever. And listen, y'all, eternity, that's the real life. If I'm fortunate, I'll get to live 85 years plus on this earth. Also, if I jumped in my car and I set my cruise control in 65 miles an hour, it would take me 85 years to get from Indiana to the planet Mars. I just thought I'd share that with everybody. <laughs> I'm just trying to say the life we obsess about is one road trip to Mars long. If I took a trip from Indiana to the center of the Milky Way galaxy, it would take me 309 billion years. Which Solomon would say in eternity, that's also known as barely blinking. You've not even gotten started yet. you might actually want to think about that road trip. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, in Hades, now life has begun. Where the rich man was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. This is jolting. Jesus pulls back the veil and he gives us a glimpse into the world beyond the grave. Jesus pulls back the veil and he gives us a glimpse of the life that really counts beyond this short stint. The moment these two men die, Life everlasting begins, and they are both transported to predetermined locations. And it says that they are carried. Oof, that's sobering. They are carried. Why? Because after you die, you no longer have any say in where you go. At that point, you are carried, you are transported, which is the word that's being used here. And just as was true in this world, these two very different men are delivered to very different locations. Because I don't know if you knew, but beyond the grave, there are only two possible polar opposite locations to which everybody will be carried. Heaven or Hades. 
Heaven, this is, heaven is it's a place where God lives with everyone who has put their faith in him for all time. It's a place of unspeakable joy and peace in the presence of God. There's no sin. There is no more struggle. There are no more sores. There is no more suffering. Uh, in this story, Jesus describes heaven as the place where Abraham is. Um, and Abraham, if you study the Old Testament, is the great father and representative of faith in God. The place where everyone who's put faith in God in all of history is in the presence of God, filled with unimaginable, unspeakable joy. The other location, Hades, is the place apart from God with everyone who has not put their faith in him, a place of unspeakable sorrow and suffering separated from the presence of God. And in this particular story, Jesus describes Hades as a place of torment, a word that means intensifying torture. Man, and make no mistake about it, Jesus is painting a vivid contrast from these two men's lives on earth. Lazarus is now in the gates of heaven in a place of comfort, and the rich man is outside the gates in a place of suffering. And apparently, even though they're in very different locations, very distant locations, they are aware of where the other is. From his place of torture, this rich man apparently can see Lazarus in the lap of comfort. That is crazy to me. Crazy to me. But we've got to be reminded this is not just a story. This is a sobering reality for everyone and everyone you know. In fact, we'll put this up on the screen. Everybody will die and then everybody will be transported to one of two predetermined locations. Heaven or Hades. Again, a reason it would be crazy for us to spend our time here on earth avoiding the conversation about death. And man, this is a painful picture. Again, not just the experience of excruciating torment, but the added torture of being aware of what you are not experiencing. And that awareness drives this rich man to do the most sensible thing imaginable. He pleads for relief. He begs for relief. And in the twist of irony, the rich man becomes the beggar in the story. Verse 24. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and 
cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Because whatever Hades is, apparently it is a place of torture by fire. This is the only place in the Bible where this word for fire is used because there is nothing like it anywhere else. I'm not asking for much, Abraham. I'm just asking for a little crumb of water to drop from the table of Lazarus onto my tongue and bring me any semblance of relief, please. The rich man is begging for the very thing, by the way, that he refused to give to Lazarus, but he is begging for any ounce of relief from the excruciating experience that is his reality in this place called Hades. A scary picture of the reality of everyone who dies apart from faith in God. But hey, let's just not talk about it because if we can ignore this completely, maybe it will go away. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Sobering words, by the way, and a warning for our culture. Because if the things you are chasing in this life, the things you are living for most, are just for this life, you're in trouble. He's saying you live for your stuff. You dreamed about accomplishing and having more and this awesome retirement and having these social media followers and you dreamed of living in the gate of luxury and you had your dream, but that is all you dreamed about and you experienced it to the full. And Abraham is saying, and what is it doing for you on this side of the grave, it is a reason Jesus asks the sobering question, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul in the life that really matters? He says to the rich guy, you got everything you lived for. You just didn't live for what mattered most because what mattered most was on this side of the grave. And now what is all of that doing for you? I'm just asking church, because whatever is on your five-year or your 50-year plan may be awesome, but if it doesn't factor in the reality beyond the grave, what are you living most for? But that isn't even the main point Abraham is making or telling him. Verse 26, here's what he says. He said, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Man, that is chilling. 
Abraham says, by the way, our situations are fixed and they cannot be reversed. There is a chasm, there is a holy canyon between heaven and Hades and there is no way of crossing those two. It cannot be moved and it cannot be crossed. Abraham is saying, after you die, there is nothing that can be done to change the situation. It's too late. It is what it is. And here's what he's saying. We'll put this up on the screen as well. Everybody will die, and then everybody will be transported to one of two predetermined locations that cannot be reversed. This is, again, heavy, sobering. To see paradise beyond the grave and to know there is no possibility of ever getting there because it's too late. That's jolting. And that's not even the half of it. Can we just talk, uh, just theology, just for a couple of moments? because this isn't even the full picture. What we're seeing in this story is not even the final destinations for either of these men. Heaven and Hades are temporary locations. Um, heaven is not where Lazarus is going to be forever. Oh no, that's just a waiting place. Um, if you read the book of Revelation, God is going to destroy the current heaven and the current earth and is going to create a new glorious one. It's going to come down from the sky and God will dwell with his people and we will dwell with him. This is not even that. That is infinitely more glorious and it hasn't been created yet. Oh, I don't know if you knew, but when Jesus rips the sky and comes down to earth, Lazarus is going to leave heaven and he's going to go back into his body and Jesus will miraculously transform and Lazarus is going to get a new body unencumbered by any restrictions. He's going to get a new and glorified body and it's in that body that he's going to live in the new and refurbished eternal paradise forever and ever and ever. This is not even that yet. He is in this temporary place, glorious in the presence of God. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a story where some of the souls who've died in faith are asking God, like, how much longer till you do the next thing, the, the, the better thing? This is amazing, but how much longer until the culmination of everything you're going to do? Because this isn't even the best part. And sadly, true for the rich man as well. There is coming a day, the end of Revelation, where God is going to take death and Hades and he's going to throw them both in the lake of fire. That's why we're calling it Hades, not hell. That's a different thing. No one's there yet. 
And when that time comes, y'all, this is terrifying stuff. It'll be utter darkness, complete separation from God. There will be no chance that anyone there is going to be having any conversation with anybody in God's presence. The doors will be shut forever and ever and ever. This is not even that quite yet. But the point Abraham is making is after death, it is too late to do anything about which reality you are stuck in and which final destination you're heading towards. After you die, it is settled. And I'm just asking, how crazy would it be for us to allow the enemy to convince us, let's just bury our heads and not have this conversation because it's too uncomfortable. Solomon would say, y'all should be talking about this. Maybe you have a trip to Mars worth of time to figure this out. And then it is eternity. This should be the conversation you are thinking about. This blip in light of forever and ever and ever. Because if not now, when will we talk about this? If we're not settling eternities now, when will we do it, right? And men, any guesses what the rich man would have wished he had thought more about when he had time? His dreams or his destiny? Nope, the time to settle which side of the chasm you get carried to is on this side of the grave while you're still alive. The rich man tragically understands exactly what Abraham is saying with this sad resignation. He understands that it's too late for him. So look at his plea in verse 27. He answered, then I beg you, Father Abraham, Please send Lazarus to my family. I have five brothers. Let him warn them why, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. This makes all the sense in the world. Please send somebody to convince them they need to be thinking about it and they need to be settling their eternal destinies. I don't want anybody I care about to end up in this place. That is the most reasonable response when the rich man understands his fate. It is too late for me, but it's not too late for the people I love. Please send Lazarus to warn them. Please send word. Their stories cannot end like this. Please send word. As um, 2024 starts, I believe heaven wants us to answer the question. Do we agree with the suffering rich man or do we not? I believe heaven wants us to answer that question. 
Every single person you know and every single person you will drive by and every single person you see at school and every single barista that you interact with this week, this is their reality. One destination or another. The rich man says, I cannot stomach that someone I love would end up in this place. And I'm just saying, I believe heaven wants us to ask the question, do we agree with him? Can you stomach the thought that the people in the world around you could end up where he ended up? Are you okay with the people you love ending up with this as their eternal story? Do we care that for the people in the world around us, this could be their forever outcome? No, we just don't talk about death. We just don't think about it. And if we don't have to think about it, we don't have to engage it or do anything about it. But I believe heaven is asking us the question, 2024, do you care about the eternal fate of the people around you? Are you okay with the people in your house ending up here? Again, if we refuse to talk about death, we don't even have to think about the fact that every single person we talk to is going to die. And after that, a great chasm is set and nothing can be done because the time to do something about it is now. And the question is, do we care enough about that? And I am, listen, this is not just a church question. I am begging us to think about this. Do you care? I mean, go home, make a list of just the 10 first people who come to your mind and ask the question, do you care about their eternal destiny? Be honest about this. Because if we're not honest, we won't know which next step to take. And for many of us, the next step would be like, I don't actually care. Spirit of the living God, would you do something in me that awakens my soul to care about the eternal fates of the people in the world around me? It's not just a cute question. It's a question I believe we ought to answer. Verse 29, Abraham replied, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. That sounds dismissive, but it's not. Abraham's preaching. Abraham is preaching. He says, the hope for your family is the gospel of Jesus. So no, he didn't. He said, Moses and the prophets. I know Moses represented the law in the Old Testament. The prophets represented the majority of the rest of the Old Testament. He's saying they have the word of God. Oh, and um, the law and the prophets, they all existed to point to one person. Jesus. In the Old Testament, it all existed to point forward to God's holy rescuer who would come and deliver people from their sin and 
decide their eternities. And for those of us looking back, we're looking back to Jesus, the one who died to pay for sin, to give us the opportunity for an eternity with God. He's pointing to Jesus. They have the gospel. They have the word of God. And they ought to listen to it. In fact, later on he says, because listen, if they don't listen to the gospel, if they don't listen to the word of God, they're not going to listen because Lazarus came from the dead. So yes, they would. No. Because the gospel for us is the very truth that Jesus came from the dead. And he says, verse, this is what Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's Jesus. There is no other way. And Abraham is, let them listen to that. Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Your eternal destiny will be set forever in the presence of God. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. By the way, these two men didn't end up where they did because of their circumstances. It's because of what they did with the word of God, what they did with the gospel in Old Testament form. This is not some, you know, veiled message teaching that if you're poor and you suffer on earth, then God is going to automatically reward you with access to heaven. And if you're really rich and comfortable on earth, then God is going to punish you for that. And nope, that is not why they ended up where they ended up. And Abraham is reaffirming that. It's that they listened or didn't listen to the word of God about his coming Messiah, who would rescue us from ourselves and from our sin. That's what determined where they ended up. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. All of us have sinned against the God of heaven and our sin has created this chasm of separation between us. And there is nothing we can do to cross it. No amount of church attendance, no amount of good work, no charitable donations can cross the chasm that our sin has created between God and us. But by his grace, God offered a solution. He sent his son Jesus to remove our sin by carrying it and to create a bridge back to God. That's why it says, by the way, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the only way to God and eternity with him. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father, and no one comes to heaven except through me. And Abraham would say they should listen to that. The only hope for your family is not Lazarus. It's, it's the gospel. Destinies are determined by whether or not someone asks Jesus to be their bridge back to God. 
So, two questions. Question number one, is your destiny settled? Is your eternal destiny settled? I'm not asking if you come to church. I'm not asking if you grew up in the church. I'm not asking if you know the Bible. I'm not asking if you go to a Christian college. I'm not asking any of that. I'm asking, do you know where you will be carried after you die? And if you are not sure, I have good news for you. You can be sure today. You can cry out to Jesus and say, would you forgive my sin? And would you be the bridge that that brings me back to God? And that is all it takes. Done, eternal destiny, sealed and settled forever today. But I am asking you the question, is your eternal destiny settled? And if it is not, I am begging you, don't do the cool suave thing and leave this building and leave it to chance. Don't do that thing where you say, well, um, I'll think on it. I'll, I'll consider it. When? At a later time. How many laters do you think you have? It's the reason the story started the way it went. They were lip, and then they, you don't know when the last later you get will be. The wisest thing to do would be to settle the matter today before you leave, and there'll be a bunch of us. If you have questions or you're not sure, come on forward. And don't, don't be the person who's like, I would, I would, I would do it, but I don't. people may judge me because they thought I knew Jesus this whole time. People may judge me for eight seconds, and I just want to beg you, forget the eight seconds. Concern yourself with the eight quadrillion years that that conversation might settle. Is your eternity settled? I'm not talking about what you did 15 years ago when you, I'm asking you today, is your eternity settled? And I would invite you to come on, settle that before you leave. I'm gonna gonna wrap here, otherwise I'll get yelled at. Um, Are you willing to help others settle their destinies. Come on, that's the question we feel stirred to answer as a church this year. Oh, God, may we be the answer to the rich man's plea for his family. Because Abraham said, I'm not sending Lazarus, and heaven said, oh, but I'm sending y'all carry the message of the gospel to the families of people like the rich man's family, carry the message of the gospel to the people at your workplace because we know for a fact everybody's going to die. Where they're going to end up, that determine, that depends on whether or not they believe the word of God and we have the joy of carrying the hope that determines eternities. Question is, are you willing to help others settle their eternal destinies. Four things, pray for who? This is gonna be our challenge. We want you to pray for a person because our challenge is if each one of us would commit to sharing the hope of Jesus with one person this year, 
Wow. And oh, by the way, if you start with one, you may get into it. But that's the challenge. Would each one of us reach one person this year by praying for who is that person, praying for when, God, give me an opportunity. Praying for willingness, God, help me to care and give me the courage to do it. And then planning for the what. Well, what am I going to say when uh, I, I have an opportunity? Well, praying for that and, and planning on what to say about Jesus. And we're in it together. And throughout the course of the year, we'll be talking about what does this look like and how do we do this better? But we want to be heaven's mouthpieces in the eternal stories of many. I want at least 4,200 people in heaven who when somebody asks them, how did you hear about Jesus, Kondo? I'm just, it's just, I'm aiming low, but I want to start somewhere. But for all of us who want to say one person who says this year, I know about Jesus because somebody at Mission Point told me about him and what a year it will be. Father, thank you so much for including us in what you're doing. Thank you so much for the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we pray even now that by your spirit, you will stir in our hearts to settle eternities. You want our eternity settled. And then you want us to launch out and be part of settling other people's eternities as well. Now is the time. We have no clue if we'll even get through 2024. And so now is the time and we want to say yes to your offer of salvation for us. And we want to say yes to carrying the gospel into our county and into the world beyond it. We want to care about eternity because of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.